Welcome to the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chavin here with you in our Magic Studios. We do this thing every Monday. I look back and I look forward at the week that was and the week that will be for your Orlando Magic. Last week, out on the road for two, you had the Oklahoma City Thunder on Tuesday. Another disappointing game for the Magic's offense. Couldn't get rolling. They lose 102 to 94, and that was supposed to be the easy part of the little two-game trip out through Oklahoma City and Dallas because, as we know, Dallas Mavericks playing great basketball right now. Wednesday, November 6th in Dallas. It was an outstanding game. Magic offense finally broke out a little bit, broke 100 points for crying out loud. It was looking good until Luka Doncic late did Luka Doncic things. Luka Doncic guarded high on the left, angles to the rim. He'll lay it up softly. It just looks like it's an easy game to Luka Doncic. And it is. Just look at the numbers. 25.7 assists, 7 rebounds. The second-year pro, 20 years old. So you come back off that loss feeling a little bit better. Steve Clifford certainly was feeling a little bit better about his offense, and he said as much. Yeah, no, we, we hung in there. The foul trouble hurt us. Uh, the difference in the game was the three-point shooting. And uh, guys fought hard, you know. You're 2-6 and six at that point of the season, and you come home to kick off a five-game homestand, really needing a W against the Memphis Grizzlies, and... Well, Friday night at Amway Center, it all came together. Vucevic at the other end to Isaac again. Speaking of padding their numbers, Jonathan Isaac now with two more. Isaac, 18 points in the game to go with seven rebounds. I don't even want to talk about his defense. It's been spectacular. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, what a great game all around. And then last night at home, a disappointing loss. The Indiana Pacers in the house. And look, I think the Pacers are a really good team. I think Nate McMillan is a really good coach. And they're well put together. They play well together. But this is a team missing Victor Oladipo, obviously, until, what, December, maybe January. They were without Miles Turner last night. They were without Jeremy Lamb last night. TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott off the bench. They really killed you. And as we know, Malcolm Brogdon and Demonis Sabonis, both playing really all-star caliber basketball right now. They've been outstanding so far this year. Uh, it was a disappointing loss. It was the second half last night that we haven't seen from this Orlando Magic team so far this year. You allow 58 points and a half. Now, look, you scored 60 in the first half, so we haven't seen that Magic team yet really either. But the defense was a letdown. And really, to kick off the third quarter last night, the Magic came out of that locker room with a nine-point lead, and it felt like everybody wanted to get theirs. Um, all of a sudden, it looked like a selfish basketball team, and they have not looked like that uh, over the course of the season. So look, you're going to have games, and you're going to have halves like that, and the Magic did not do in the second half what they did in the first half, and they got to find that level of consistency. You're going to have nights where the offense is going to sputter a little bit. You're going to have nights where you know, you're going to kick the ball around the gym. You can't have nights where you have an entire half of basketball, and you play completely out of character. So the offense was good in the first half. It didn't continue in the second. But the real disappointment last night was the defense sort of followed in the second half. Uh, It went out the door as well. And against a good team like Indiana, you're going to take an L on nights like that. And that's what they did last night, 109-102. to Fast forward to this week. Day off today. Practice day tomorrow. Philadelphia 76ers in on Wednesday. OrlandoMagic.com for your tickets. And with that, we head to the hotline to chat with my guest today. He covers the Sixers for the Philly Voice and one of my favorite podcast names, the New Slant Podcast. Shout out Brian Colangelo and his massive collars. Kyle Newback joins me today on the Magic Weekly Podcast. What's up, man? I'm hanging in. I had my uh, my birthday this past weekend, so I'm in recovery mode a All little right. bit. But uh, aside from that, I'm doing pretty well. Well, happy birthday uh, from the entire Orlando Magic family. Tell me about the oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, no problem. Um, tell me about the Sixers' start to the season: highs, lows, expectations, turnovers. What have you seen so far, Kyle? Well, so they came 
I don't want to say flying out of the gate because offensively they've been dealing with some challenges when you build a team around a front court that has two centers in it in the modern NBA. It makes things a little tough. But defensively, when they've had everybody healthy, they've, they've flashed some serious potential there. The, the problem they have right now is some stuff that's carryover from last season. There's still some turnover issues. They're trying to get some familiarity built between the main pieces. And then the other side of it is they've blown some – so they blew a big lead in Denver on Friday, and that has reopened a lot of old wounds with the team and fans thinking, oh, this is on the coach, this is on Joel Embiid and all kinds of arguments about that. So it's been a good start. They're 5-3. and three. They're, they're, they're cruising along pretty well here, but uh, not without its – ups and downs so far how do you feel how does the philly fan base the the old wounds i mean i think about brett brown and i wanted to get to that eventually he's good buddies with steve clifford they go way back but brett brown has been through his odyssey is stranger than probably any nba coaches ever uh if you go all the way back what has it been like for you to watch him go from where he was to where he is now? I mean, the guy could obviously always coach. It's just he didn't have personnel in the first place. But how do Philly fans feel about him, and what do you think about him just as a coach? Well, it's been sort of a tug-of-war between two sides of the fan base for a long time. I think there, there's a group of people that really support Brett that, that look at what he does and how the team plays and say, look, this is how modern basketball is meant to be played. They shoot lots of threes. They play up tempo. He's also a defense first guy. And those are all the ingredients for me to be a good coach. On top of that, he's a player friendly coach. They all like him. They went to bat for him after last season when there was some reports out there that he might lose his job after the season. So there are a lot of, a lot of pro Brett Brown people, but the the more vocal group are the people who want him out of here. They see certain traits that the team has had, like the high turnovers. Or they're leading the league in turnovers right now, and they've been bad in that category for years. They've had some execution problems in the second halves of games, although they've been much better there this year. They've had a few really nice comebacks as a team. So it's one of those things that's always going to be bubbling under the surface, even when they're getting off to a good start and they're winning games. So the best thing that they can do as far as Brett Brown is concerned is the same thing as every coach is just win games. And then that conversation just sort of fades away, but because they're a new group, they're still finding their footing and, and dealing with some health stuff too. They've had some guys in now the lineup. So, We'll see what they actually look like when they're at full strength for a little bit. I find it so interesting, Kyle. I, I grew up in Cleveland. I, I've worked in Cleveland. I worked in Detroit. So I know loud, angry, passionate fan bases, divisive right. fan bases. And the Sixers specifically, I mean, we know what Philly is, but the Sixers specifically, you want to talk about polarizing, d- divisive players and coaches and an organization at that. You can talk about Brett Brown. Obviously, Embiid, I mean, I feel like just because he's so blustery, there's probably people on either side. He's a great player, obviously, but I'm sure there are people who wish you know, he wouldn't um, uh, peacock as much and sort of invite some of the controversy. And then there's Ben Simmons. Like, Can, can you get a group of players in an organization that probably drives people uh, in either direction uh, that much more so? Like, I, it. It has to be a constant battle um, on either side, and, and you probably have people who sort of cross over. Yeah, I love Simmons, but fire Brett Brown. Yeah, I hate Simmons. He can't shoot threes. It's just it, it's just got to be a lot of noise, I would think. 
Yeah, and I, like for me, I think it's great because that makes for lots of great storytelling right. and you can get into lots of debates and opinion type stuff. So uh, on the writer's side, that's awesome. But but yeah, we always joke, the people who are on the beat, about how there's never just like a normal week or two for this team yeah. where they're just, hey, this is a normal good team where they carry on, they win a few games, and there's not a whole lot of chatter about them. I think that's just... Part of that's the nature of playing in Philadelphia. As you refer to the fan bases you've been involved with, there are some diehard, loud, passionate fans around here, which is great. But the flip side of that is sometimes the the football, the, the Philadelphia Eagles mentality bleeds into how we talk about the Sixers. Sure. And so if, if they lose one bad game, it turns into, oh, this team is doomed. They got to trade everybody, blah, 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 blah. And look, I – I get it, and I, I understand, and I love that passion. But to get through an 82-game season plus the playoffs, you got to understand there are going to be bad nights. There are going to be hot shooting nights for other teams, and you just got to take it one baby step at a time. What's with Simmons? What's with the shoulder? How's he look so far? And what hand should he be shooting with? <laughs> to, to, to play to play I'm an not, old I'm record. Not the, <laughs> I'm not in the business of telling anybody to switch hands. If that's what he's comfortable with, then – more power to him. I do think it's fascinating that he's right-handed and ended up where he is today, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think that that's actually been the big talking point slash debate of this season as we saw a lot of workout videos and what have you in the summer, and it looked like he was going to come back, if not a new man, at least potentially with some changes to his game. But so far this year, we've really only seen the same Ben Simmons as we saw last year. And so I, that's been pretty disappointing to a lot of people. Obviously, Ben Simmons is still a, a tremendous talent, multifaceted player who can do a lot of things. But you're seeing defenses approach him the same way they have in the past. They're playing him for the pass and daring them to beat them at the rim. And that's going to have its, its ups and downs. So the, I don't know if we're going to see Ben start pulling at any point this year. The shoulder issue, from what I understand, is not too serious. I think he, he might miss. They play Cleveland on Tuesday. I think he, he might miss that one. I think he might be back for Orlando, but we're supposed to get an update on his status today, and I assume that we'll we'll learn more when that happens. What do you think of him? I, I love watching him play, and obviously, you know, if he adds a perimeter jumper, it's just going to – I mean, he's going to destroy the league, in my opinion, but – does he need to? I mean, can he can he be an all-star caliber player or the second-best player on a championship team without shooting from the perimeter? So I think he, he can definitely be an all-star caliber player because he's already shown sure. that he's capable of that. I'm less sure in this specific team context that he can he can do that and win a, and win a title because – the, the fit next to Joel Embiid, like your, your two best players don't have to fit perfectly together, but the Sixers can't really run much of anything involving those two. Like their pick and rolls are basically an impossibility with Simmons and Embiid mm. because teams just don't respect them. They're not going to go over top of screens and give him driving lanes. And so they, they can't play the two man game. And that that's a real shame for two guys who have a, a ton of talent. They just, they don't really complement each other. And that has to be – Ben on another team, if you put him on a team where there's four shooters around him and they just run and, and spread the floor and play kind of similar to how Milwaukee does, right. to be honest, 
I, I think he, that would be better for him as an individual. But if they can, if him and Embiid can somehow figure this out, the ceiling is obviously astronomically high. So there, he needs to do that not just for himself, but to to be the best Ben Simmons he can be for Joel Embiid, for Al Horford to a lesser extent. And I guess it's just a question of will he ever get there? Because the difference between Simmons without a jump shot and Simmons with a jumper is being an all-star type talent and then being like a top 10, top five player in the league type talent. Yeah, that part always drives me nuts. Like Ben is not Giannis, of course, but people seem to look at Ben and say, well, he's I mean, he's he's just okay because he can't shoot jumpers. And I'm like, well, Giannis doesn't shoot jumpers. It's just a matter of context. Um, you know, you, you can dominate the game from within three to five feet, especially if you're as good a passer uh, as either of those two guys are. Kyle Newbeck, my, my guest today on the Magic Weekly Podcast. You can find him uh, on Twitter, uh, and he covers the Sixers for the Philly Voice and uh, the new Slant Podcast as well. What's your Twitter handle? Just Kyle Newbeck, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. Kyle Newbeck, very yep. simple. Yep, very simple. Uh, what? So Embiid and Simmons, is that a good relationship? Like Embiid's... Embiid's personality, I could see as being really, really grating, obviously. Um, I would imagine if you're within the locker room with him and if you see the way he plays night to night, you kind of get over maybe some perceived slights. But do you ever get the sense that some of his, sometimes his teammates are just like, dude, shut up? No, I don't, I don't think I've ever gotten – like, look, those two definitely have very different personalities, and that's been discussed a ton both locally and nationally. Joel, it's really weird because despite Joel being the exuberant social media guy, he's kind of a homebody who likes to keep to himself and he doesn't necessarily like doing all the the public facing stuff. Hmm. Whereas Ben Simmons is very quiet and, and that everyone kind of knows that, but away from the court, he likes to go out and, and be in the mix and socialize and all that. So they live, they live kind of very different lives, but I think they've come to understand over the past couple of years playing together that they need each other. And so they, they understand that the on-court stuff matters a lot. Does that mean that they're, they're hanging out and they're buddy-buddy off the court? No. But I think they, they have come to an understanding. And I, I think it also helped last year to have somebody like a Jimmy Butler in the locker room where he's kind of this tour de force of a personality and he's all over the place and just highs and lows with him day after day, then they see like, hey, maybe maybe Joel is not the guy I'm best friends with, or maybe Ben is not the guy I'm best friends with, but we're both professionals. We both show up and, and compete and play hard every day. They, they certainly respect each other, and I think that's ultimately probably what matters more than anything else. There's not any kind of animosity between them about – they. They respect the work each each other put in, and, and that goes a long way, I think, in the locker room. Kyle, tell me about your Markel Fultz Philly experience and then what it's been like seeing him so far this year in Orlando. I, it was one of the strangest things. I guess I should say it's probably the strangest thing that I've dealt with to see. It was a kid I watched a lot in college and was convinced he was going to come out and be this tremendous three-level scorer, and then Obviously, what happened happened where he had some, some health issues and then was in and out of the lineup, and nobody could really get a, a firm grasp of what was going on with him. But during that whole time, and I've said this, I, I've written extensively about Markel in the past, everyone always vouched for him as a person. He's a good kid, and 
his teammates loved him, coaches loved him, believed he was putting in the work. And so I think in Philly, there's always been that undercurrent of this situation is not good for everyone because some of Markel's problems were compounded by the Ben shooting stuff. Because when Markel's not shooting and Ben's not shooting and they're trying to play together at the same time, that that just makes for a really crowded paint and a, a tough on-court situation for everybody. So, I mean, I like from a personal standpoint, I've been rooting for Markel, just hoping that he can can figure things out. And I haven't watched a ton of the Magic this year, but it seems like he's been a bit more confident in his jump shot. He's settled into – he seems like he's found a role down there, and he's maybe a little bit – more away from the noise in Orlando than he was in Philly, where, as we've discussed, everything gets broken down to the nth, nth degree. So I'm actually I'm very curious to see how the Sixers decide to defend him because whenever you get a guy on a uh, on a return, they know more about you than anybody else. So I'm curious to see how that that matchup unfolds this week. Yeah, I think it's. I think he needed to get out of Philadelphia, and I mean, obviously people parse back and forth about how much of the injury um, was was a mental thing, and, and, and I think we know now that you know there was a, a legit diagnosis there, and, um, and 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 you can actually see you know he's he's past it now, and obviously he's not all the way back to what potentially he was going to be, um, but he has now worked through it. But I do I do think that the he needed to get out of Philadelphia, and I'm not sure Orlando was was the ideal place, but I'm not sure if it was noise, I'm not sure if it was the basketball aspect of it, or if it was just all the heightened expectations, maybe even internally, um, but he had to get out of there, right? Oh, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree, and I think just, just to get to a new situation was good. To get to Orlando, I think, was good, where they were willing to to bring him along a little more slowly. You don't have the expectations of being the number one overall pick there. <laughs> now, certainly the reason they would trade for him is we see the talent that he has shown in the past and, and believe, hey, maybe we can get that number one pick type talent and production at some point. But we're not going to – we don't need to put the, those expectations or that pressure on him. And I think, I think that was good because – that was the biggest problem for Markel and Philly is not only was he having these issues, he's got the, the glare of a trade they made with the Boston Celtics where the Celtics got Jason Tatum plus a pick as a result of that trade. And people are looking at Jason Tatum killing the Sixers in the playoffs two years ago and yep. saying, man, how could we have made this trade? Blah, 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 blah. And so that's, to get away from all that was certainly the best. Because, look, as much as we'd like to think these guys can just shield out all the, the noise and the stuff on the outside, it's hard. And for a kid who was 19 years old at the time, they're like super young, it, you can't block everything out. So I personally was happy for him that he could just start fresh, start new somewhere else. No, and I've heard that from a lot of people who covered him in Philly, and it, I didn't know what to expect when, when I got down here, and he, you're right, dude. I mean, he is a he's a really sharp kid. He's he's polite. He's always willing to talk to us. Um, everybody's rooting for him down here as well, and it's good to know, like, now that I get back and I, and I talk to folks who covered him in Philly, uh, Kyle, everybody sort of said the same thing you did. Like, this is a really good kid. We couldn't really figure out what was going on, but everybody's kind of pulling for him. Um, so certainly that's good to hear. Were you on the beat when MCW was on the Sixers? 
well, I was writing about the team, but I was not quite on the beat yet. More of the the outside looking in stuff. Tell me about him. He's he is fascinating. He's got a great personality. Steve Clifford calls him one of the best defenders he's ever coached before, and I think you know that element of his game has obviously developed a little bit. But I I love the idea of taking a guy like MCW, rookie of the year, all these highs early in his career, um, and then basically out of the league a year or two ago. And you put him next to Markel Fultz in the locker room. I bet the two of them could help each other out a little bit. There's certainly some insight he could share with Markel. MCW's been really good for this team, uh, both on and off the floor. Yeah, I'm sure that they could trade some uh, some war stories from from Philadelphia right. and being in that organization. Michael Carter Williams is a good example of like the resilience that it takes to stick around in the NBA because he comes out in his first game and they beat the LeBron James Miami Heat and he has a monster game and so people start putting crazy expectations on him obviously that was a team that was going nowhere fast with the trades they were making and the the, uh, the quote-unquote the process they were trying to position themselves for the draft and so being a young point guard in that position is really hard the more you take established veterans and role players from around them the harder it gets for them to produce each and every night and the trade when they traded him initially after winning the rookie of the year the year before, that was a really divisive trade in Philadelphia at the time. Turned out to be, I think, was was the right move because they there was still a little bit of a luster around him. But now we've seen him. You go from that transition where, hey, it's it's rookie of the year, hot shot rookie, to all right. I have to find my role in this league, and I have to stick by defending. I got to stick by being a, a high character guy in the locker room, and I always. I love those stories where, look, all these guys come to the NBA having been like the best player on their team wherever they were at, and they have to find a way to survive in the NBA, a lot of them. Not everybody's going to be Joel Embiid or a LeBron James-type player, and those are like the best human stories that we see in the NBA. Last question. It's a good transition. Do you, Kyle Newbeck, trust the process? Well, I mean, it certainly worked. So the the results of the process <laughs> make it easier to trust. But uh, yeah, I would say I do. I was kind of one of the people leading the charge on the merits of that uh, that plan at the time. Now, I was everything perfect, and could they have done it without generating so much consternation around the league? Maybe, but I, I think ultimately the team was in gridlock for so long that. They needed a, a sea change, and this is the best Sixers team. Like, the last three years have been the best years of Sixers basketball since they went to the finals at the turn of the century. So I think most fans would look back and say it was a tough period for all of us, but now that now that everyone's on the other side, it was certainly well worth it. He's Kyle Newbeck. He's on Twitter, at Kyle Newbeck, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. Uh, read all his stuff in the Philly Voice. Does a great job covering the Sixers, and the podcast is called The New Slant Podcast. Thanks, dude. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. All right, there he is, Kyle Newbeck, here on Magic Weekly. Jake Chapman here with you. And a big thanks to Kyle for joining me. The rest of the week will be the San Antonio Spurs on Friday, November 15th at the Amway Center, and then next Sunday, the Washington Wizards in the house to wrap up that five-game homestand. Then it's out on the road for a couple tough teams we've already seen this year at Toronto. we got to go back to Toronto. I don't know what that's all about. They better come here uh, soon. Oh, by the way, they do before the end of the month. Uh, so we'll see the Raptors three times here 
in the first, uh, what, month and a half of the season, uh, which is a little crazy. But uh, you're out on the road. You'll see the Toronto Raptors on Wednesday, November 20th, Saturday the 23rd uh, at Indiana again. Maybe exact a little revenge against those guys. Uh, Then you swing through Detroit on Monday, November 25th, and you'll see the Cleveland Cavaliers on Wednesday, November 27th. So a four-game roadie coming up after this five-game homestand, and uh, Magic have yet to win a game out on the road. So in the next week or two, you know, need to protect home court. Got a couple tough games. Philly, San Antonio is kind of scuffling right now, but they're never an easy W. And then the Washington Wizards on Sunday. You've got to stack a couple wins here because the team now, I mean, you're an eighth of the way through the season, and you're three and seven. So time's running out uh, for this Magic team right now. they got to sort of slap it all together and uh, get healthy. Obviously, you got Terrence Ross back. That's a good thing. He looked good uh, to start the game last night, and obviously, you're going to watch his minutes moving forward. But the offense feels like it's coming around. Nick Vucevic has played three straight really good games. Evan Fournier has played two straight really good games, and T. T- Ross looked pretty good last night in his limited minutes. You got to keep the offense improving. You got to find what works and stick with it, and then you got to have that bedrock of your solid defense. There are some positives right now. Jonathan Isaac is playing absolutely out of his mind on the defensive side of the ball, uh, leading the league in block shots, deflections, steals every night. He's been phenomenal. You're starting to see it come offensively, like I said. I think Markel Fultz is settling in. I think DJ Augustine is settling in with the second unit. But until you get a couple games where you're playing consistent offense the way you want it to look, moving the ball, getting easy buckets, um, you know, crashing glass and, and getting second chance opportunities, getting out and running a little bit, playing off script. You know, Cliff always talks about playing ball. That's what's coming for this Orlando Magic team. The defense is going to be there. Um, that, that was the aberration last night, the second half of that Pacers game. The offense is what needs to uh, come through and deliver and stay consistent, and that's what we're hoping to see here in the next week or two. That's going to do it for the Magic Weekly Podcast. My name is Jake Chapman. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at JakeChapmanOM. And make sure you check out all of our podcast content. Orlando Magic Pod Squad coming out tomorrow. Uno a Uno with Joey Colon. That'll be on Wednesday. The Magic Memories Podcast. Dennis Newman catches up with Daryl Armstrong. That's coming on Thursday. And then a brand new Magic Life with DJ Augustine will drop on Friday. Uh, DJ Mackenzie Thurkel and Aaron Gordon. This has been the Magic Weekly Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.